Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome Welcome to to the C4SO Podcast. Podcast. Mickey, hello again. Great to see you. Hey, good to see you again, Bishop Todd. It's my favorite time of the week. When we get to be on a podcast, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. It's you know, true. I'm I'm feeling a little bit impatient. You know why? Why? Why is that? Because it's getting that time of year when I, I want to like sing Christmas carols. Like I want to sing. It's mm. beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and then I hear I actually... see a little finger wagging in my face, knowing yeah. Advent first, Todd. Yeah. Not Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot like Advent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are pacing ourselves here. So we get the privilege of talking to our friend Kimberly Deckel today on her personal uh, Advent experience and also what Advent means to her as a church leader. So she is a priest in C4SO. She's the executive pastor at Church of the Cross in Austin. I really trust and admire her wisdom. I've been around her a lot and my dad had a word when I was young called moxie, and I wasn't sure I knew what it meant, but I think yeah. it means something like sort of profound street level wisdom. And mm. uh, Kimberly really has that. She has a really important role in the diocese of helping us care for our many women clergy. And it always feels good to me to know that they're in her capable hands. Yes, she is fabulous. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with our friend Kimberly Deckel on Advent. I don't know if I should say this in public or not, Kimberly. I don't want to make you blush, but we're starting with one of my favorite people, Kimberly Deckel from, from Austin, Texas. Kimberly, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks. It's really good to be with you guys. Of course, I'd like love to be in a room with you, but this is maybe the next yeah. time. So Kimberly, I first met you when you were living in Arizona. Now you're yeah. in Texas. Yeah. So we always like to start with just some fun things. So Arizona or Texas and why? Man, okay, so at this point in time, having only been in Texas not quite two years, definitely yeah. Arizona. Uh-huh. Um, I think I you know, I would say like one thing that I've noticed about myself, I've not moved a lot, but I like grew up in Missouri, lived in Arizona for a long time, and then obviously now we're in Texas. I do like really love to grow like to love the place that, that I live. Oh, um, yeah. so I have so I have like this belief that I'll come to a point like where we'll, where we'll love Texas and we'll love Austin. Yeah. We're still yeah. Austin. Um, but Arizona is just near and dear to my heart. I mean, I was there for 16 years. I met my husband yeah. there. Wow. Yeah. My daughter was born there. Um, sure. Austin yeah. is a really beautiful state. I was actually just there last week for like 24 hours for a board that I sit on. I'm just reminded of how beautiful it is. You know, Phoenix is like this city in the middle of the desert. And then you can drive an hour and a half and be in Sedona where there's Red Rock. You can drive 30 more minutes and be in Flagstaff, you know, at high elevation with like a 13,000 yeah. foot mountain. So Arizona for now, it's beautiful. All right. You visit if you haven't. That's fair. Yeah, those are good. All good reasons. I've never been to Arizona, but I would love yes. to. You seriously, oh, yeah. Mickey, it's, it really is like lovely. I mean, it is very hot, but, yeah. the, but the winters are nice. I mean, it's like. That's what I hear. 65 degrees. Um in the desert, if you go north. Yeah. Like mm, okay. So, yeah. yeah. Never been to the desert. That sounds really fun to me. All cool. right. So, so you said Arizona. So yes. then tell us, you know, every time I'm, I'm in Austin, I see those signs, you know, keep Austin weird. Yes. Um, what's your favorite, <laughs> yeah. like weird thing you've discovered of Austin that you like? So I do love water. 
And mm, I think, you know, you think of somewhere like Austin and you don't really think of it being, you know, it's not near like the ocean or anything right, like right. that. But we do have, I would call it a river, like absolutely, that runs okay. through downtown Austin. Yeah. Everyone here calls it a lake. <laughs> it's like not. Really? I actually don't know what the definition um, I don't know what the definition of a, of a lake is, but it is like Lady Bird Lake. It's like down yeah. Yeah. the river. And so it's one of those things that's not worth, I don't think, like, Telling Austinites, actually, yeah, like pushing back on it. Actually, a lake. Um, so I, I will say though, like that is weird. The whole like calling it a lake thing. Um, but it's also <laughs> really beautiful. Just having this water like mm, running yeah. through the city, and then mm-hmm. near near that lake, and it kind of changes into a few different. It's like Lady Bird Lake, Lake Travis, and then I forget the other name. Um, but we also have these really cold but pretty um, spring fed pools, Deep Eddy and Barton Springs. Mm. They're just kind of these like. I don't know, just kind of funky, weird places in Austin as well. Love it. And I'm sure those are appreciated too in the heat of summer. Yes. I mean, (laughs) I think to survive somewhere like this in the summer, you just have to have like water. And so Mm -hmm. pools, lakes, rivers, whatever. Yes, you need it. Well, thank you for sharing, Kimberly. And thanks for uh, giving us a little bit of your background too. I had no idea that you grew up in Missouri and were in Arizona for so long. Yes. That's that's a really long time. So yeah. as Bishop Todd mentioned, this is our first episode of our Advent series. So we're going to get to that in a second. But first, kind of in the vein of getting to know you, yeah. um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to know the Lord and yeah. how did you begin to sense a call to ministry? My story of coming to faith, I usually start it with um, the fact that I was actually raised in the Unitarian Universalist Church. Um, ah. Oftentimes folks are like, what? What is that? Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the very like simple explanation is grew up in a space where people like recognize Jesus as a person and like a good guy and somebody whose life um, we should try to like emulate in different ways. But Jesus was not our savior. And then also Mm -hmm. like hence like the word Unitarian didn't recognize the Trinity. Um, And so there were pros and cons in that for me. Um, One of um, the the cons that I came to discover at a pretty young age was I didn't agree with a lot of that. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of the pros of growing up in that space was that I was able to ask a lot of questions. And so I had this really um, like clear experience as a young child of sensing the Lord's presence with me. My like home life childhood was pretty chaotic. Um, there wasn't much that was like very predictable. And so have these, I have these really clear moments of like experiencing like Jesus just really present to me um, in sort of the midst of that chaos. And so as I started asking questions in the Unitarian Church about Jesus and who he is and him being more than kind of just this like good guy who lived a good life, um, right. they were open to those questions. And I think um, now having come to faith and having a lot of friends who grew up in the church and in spaces where questions weren't all that welcome or maybe like challenging what they were taught wasn't that welcome, um, I've really grown to appreciate that. Um, so kind of toward the end of grade school, I had a couple of really good friends whose dads were both pastors. And so I would just like tag along with them to church and would go to like my one friend, her dad was a PCA pastor. My other friend, her dad was a pastor in Assemblies of God Church, would just tag along with them. I should rewind a little bit and also say that my mom grew up in a very like Irish Catholic family. St. Louis Uh, is a very like Catholic city. mm -hmm. So I was actually baptized as an infant in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, so in middle school, um, I became a Christian, started walking with the Lord. Um, and then really for me in, um, high school and then into college is really when my faith, 
think began to feel a little bit more like my own. Like I had a little more yeah. kind of autonomy, independence, wasn't just sort of depending on like a friend's parent to give me a ride to church. Um, right. It was also in high school that I began sensing um, a call to ministry. I think a couple of the things that were complicated about that were that like I wasn't being raised in a Christian home. And so there wasn't really, you know, for my parents kind of an understanding of what that meant or what mm. that might look like. I also um, didn't have any women in my life um, who were like mm. leading in ministry or church spaces. And so mm. when I began feeling that call. It was kind of like, all right, God, like, what am I supposed to do with that? Right, right. Now what? Um, and then uh, when I went to college, I went to a big state college and still kind of listening to that call to ministry, not sure what it meant, decided that I would be a religious studies major because in the big state school, that's kind of the closest you can get. Right. And pretty early on realized, well, that's like not really going to work in terms of heading down the ministry path or even kind of like a pastoral path. Um, but college was really formational for me. Um, I was able to help start a chapter of Fellowship of Christian Athletes at my college. I was a student athlete. Um, and yeah, just really like was able to dive in deep to my faith and um, and be really formed in a way that looked different than growing up kind of in my childhood home and even sort of, um, yeah, just going to churches because I could get a ride there. Mm. Yeah. That that's good. So but. that's a little window, Kimberly. I don't think I knew you're an athlete. What kind of athlete? I mean, I'm not yeah. surprised, but. So I was a long distance runner. So I ran, okay. yeah. Yeah. So, so in college, it's like a three season sport. So cross country in yeah. the fall and track, indoor track in the winter and outdoor track in the spring. So yeah. yeah. Wow. Very cool. Nice. It was fun. That's awesome. It was like a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your knees Ma- tell you, right? <laughs> obvious or under, like, it's crazy. I actually like don't have any knee problems or anything. Oh, so that's great. great. Yeah. Super thankful. Um, yeah. I think the thing I noticed the most, like kind of as I hit my 40s, and I think this probably is connected to like literally like running thousands of miles a year, is my, yeah. feet, my feet hurt now. Oh, um, okay. your feet. I'll take that over. That's so funny. Yeah. I have a, a college teammate who today is getting a hip replacement. So I'll. Wow. Oh gosh, yeah. so. Thank God for good DNA. I know. Yeah, right? it must be. I think that's, that's why like I don't. All, yeah, all that it is. This yeah. is why I don't do sports, so. guys. oh man well thank you for sharing that Kimberly I want to touch a little bit on this Um, how did you end up in the Anglican tradition how did you end up being an ordained priest like how how did this happen you know over the course of your life yes those are all good questions and that kind of you know like picks up sort of like the second piece of my story Um, in college I actually for the most part attended the Newman Center which is the Catholic church on campus Um, okay cool And that experience um, was like another one of those. It's just a really like pivotal, significant experience in my life and in my um, faith journey. I had not spent a lot of time in the Catholic Church, but it was a really significant part of my mom's life. And I would say for her, it was um, both good and hard. She um, grew up going to like Catholic schools, um, had some pretty hard experiences in those spaces, and so had walked away from the church, from faith. Um, and I still, still just had a lot of curiosity around Roman Catholicism and just kind of how that um, like shaped and formed my family and some of the ways in which it impacted my mom. And so mm-hmm. I found a really, um, yeah, just a really like sweet season in my faith um, in the Roman Catholic Church. I went through catechism and confirmation um, mm-hmm. in college. And those, I mean, to this day, like those, those um, experiences just play a significant role in my faith. And mm-hmm. while like Obviously, there are theological differences between the Roman Catholic Church and Anglicanism. There are mm-hmm. also like 
many common things. Um, I think that I've just kind of through my life just felt a really strong connection and pulling to the more like liturgical historical traditions had visited Episcopal churches kind of throughout my childhood and, and everything as well. Um, and so I ended up like, obviously like leaving the Catholic church at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just significant for me. It was also significant because in that time, the Lord really used my experience and my um, just formation in the Catholic church to draw my mom back to the Lord and back. To oh, the wonderful. Um, and so that was, yeah, just one of those things that was really unexpected, like nowhere kind of in my plans um, and deciding to kind of head down that path for a period of my life. But um, just this really like beautiful piece of, of our story um, as a family. And so so I ended up majoring in social work after graduate school, moved to Arizona, just like for fun, knew one person yeah. there, Why not? tired of winter <laughs> and cold weather, kind of in that time in Phoenix. Um I initially, like for a long time, was still working as a social worker and in many ways felt like, I mean, social work is like, has so many similarities to ministry, to Mm -hmm. pastoring. Most of my career as a social worker was in the secular world. It wasn't in, you know, like kind of Christian nonprofits or spaces like that. But I always really felt like I was able to still like share the Lord with people, whether it was really overtly or even just through like the work that I was doing and Mm -hmm. and caring Mm -hmm. for like the least of these, right? But there was kind of this another like significant moment in my faith journey. Um, this point in time or like several things kind of happened at once. And one of those things was that I decided to start seminary just for fun. And I like absolutely meant that when I said it, that it was just yeah. for fun. I really enjoy learning. I like school. School is much different in your like mid thirties with a young child as it yeah. was, you know, in my early twenties with no other responsibilities really. Um, but yeah, I decided to start the seminary program in Phoenix. And then I also um, kind of around that same time met a woman who is now probably like my closest friend. And the very first time that I met her, she knew like nothing about me. And we just sat down to have coffee. And she's like, you know, the Lord's like called you to pastor, right? And it was just one of those mm. really like prophetic moments wow. where it was wow. kind of like, like, be quiet. You don't know me. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it must also, be the Lord. Like, kind of just this like reminder and sort of this moment was like, oh, like I need to pay attention to this. Mm, um, and at yeah. that point, it still felt very much like it did in high school where it was kind of like, okay, but like, how am I supposed to do this? What does this look like? And then not too long into that journey of seminary, I connected with a guy in town who was getting ready to plant an Anglican church. He'd been in prayer about somebody to plant with. And he'd really, like, we kind of laugh about it, but he'd, like, really um, longed to be able to plant a church with a person of color. And I think he would actually have said, like, like in his mind, a man. Like, just, mm. you know, that was kind of, I think, like, the bias, like, not even intentionally, right? Um, and so we kind of laugh because it's like, well, got a person of color, but a woman. Um, <laughs> and so Love in it. that journey, I mean, my husband and I had um, had kind of also just in our marriage, like, points of time where we'd interacted like with Anglicanism, our daughter's like best friend that she made at school starting at the age of three, her dad was an Anglican priest in Phoenix. Oh. And he and I would like, would drop Love our that. kids off at school for breakfast in the morning and stand in the parking lot and talk about like theology oh, and Anglicanism cool. sometimes for like a couple mm. of hours. <laughs> you know, I would be Love like, that. oh no, um, yeah. you've got to go. Um, so there were just like all of these little things that kind of happened around the same time that made it hard for us um, as a family to like ignore um, sort of this pulling that we felt toward Anglicanism, um, Mm. but then also made it really hard to ignore um, 
what really feels like a call um, on my life from a from a pretty young age from the Lord to pursue mm. gospel ministry. And then God just made like this pretty clear path. Um, and so ended up like co-planting an Anglican church in Phoenix. We met for quite a while as just a core group of people sharing meals together. We'd have worship once a month. And then after lots of prayer and discernment, we um, decided on an official launch date of March the 1st of 2020. So we had two formal services um, and then COVID. And so that's like a whole other story. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's like, I mean, and that was not, it was kind of in that time, Bishop Todd, that we met and we're discerning like the move um, to C4SO and all of that. Mm -hmm. So a lot has happened in the last, I mean, I've lost track of how many years it's been now, but just so many things where there's been, I mean, certainly like ups and downs and like a lot of things in this process that have been challenging, but where Mm -hmm. um, I think for us, like as a family, we feel so settled and rooted and like connected in the Anglican tradition. Um, I feel really thankful for it, for our daughter who's 11 and just started sixth grade. Um, Just the space in the church that we're in just feel, um, yeah, just like so good for her and her formation. Oh, good. Um, Yeah. And it's like a privilege to be able serving, to be able to serve, yeah, as a pastor and a priest in in our church and in this tradition. And Bishop's Liaison for Women in Leadership, too. And Bishop's Liaison for Women in Leadership, yes. Yes. Oh, what a beautiful story, Kimberly. Thank you for sharing. Of course. So, Kimberly, you want to talk to you today about both your personal uh, experience with Advent and with uh, helping to lead a congregation through Advent. So, First of all, just give us a little background. What's been your experience with the church calendar and the liturgical season? Just kind of recent or did, or do you remember it from your childhood too? Yeah. So in childhood, nothing, like we didn't do anything, okay. with it. but I would say kind of beginning in college, like being really kind of immersed in the Roman Catholic church, um, mm-hmm. quite a bit of experience with it there. Um, and I think, you know, I think you, we hear a lot of folks at Church of the Cross kind of say this where there's. Um, it's like one of those things that you don't like know you need. Um, and then you begin sort of like dipping your toe in it and begin paying yeah. more attention to just these like rhythms of this calendar and the ways in which it kind of reorients us, like pointing to Jesus and our faith as opposed to sort of like the schedule and like the calendar kind of, of like the world and culture. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, even just kind of as like a busy college student with um, crazy schedule and traveling yeah. often because of athletics and things like that there was just this sense of like slowing down um, uh, and a reminder like of, of kind of the foundation of my life and where it was um, and beginning to kind of engage and practice um, like engaging. Yeah. In the liturgical calendar and in those rhythms. And then, you know, like through my life, through adulthood, becoming like a mom gets become even more significant. Um, like yeah. that desire for Keenan, our daughter, um, like to notice kind of those rhythms in this way of life. Um, right. too, just in like the busyness and the kind of the distractions of the world. Um, mm-hmm. And I do find yeah. for sure that as a mom now, I think even more about what it looks like in the different seasons to like engage in ways that we can, um, yeah, like really be aware of what's happening and practicing that. So, yeah, mm. that's so true. And I love the way you guys put it, that it's something you don't really know you need until yeah. you start doing it. And you're like, yeah. oh, this is a whole thing. That's been our experience too. And in the people in our church who are new to Anglicanism, Mm -hmm. they see these rhythms that we take part in and they're like, oh, like I maybe heard of Advent or maybe heard of Lent or whatever, but didn't really know what it was. And then once they start Mm -hmm. dipping their toes, it's like, oh, 
I needed this. Yeah. We all really benefited. Right. To need sort of like these rhythms and calendars and kind of way of life. Um, And there's just so many distractions and so many other things that we give our attention to, but I find it to be a really, um, yeah, just like a calming kind of piece of our, our day-to-day life. So Kimberly, how, how have you personally been formed by the season of Advent in particular? What are some of the spiritual practices that mark this time, you know, as a person, as a parent, as a pastor, as an advocate, you know, all of the roles that you've had in your life? How has the season of Advent formed you? So I will start with Advent. It's, It's always like hard to choose. Not that we have to choose, but every time, that, every year when Advent comes around, I often feel like, yes, like Advent is my favorite. Which oh. I think that that like remains true kind of each year. Um, I just really look forward to it. Um, and I think a piece of it is that just sort of this idea of um, like this waiting, kind of this like hopeful anticipation of Advent feels mm-hmm. so true of like <clears throat> of our day to day life, right? as followers of Jesus, kind of the idea of living in this like already, but not yet, you know, we're living in this, yeah, like in this hopeful anticipation, like knowing and having like signs and symbols of the kingdom here and present to us right now, but knowing like that there's so much more to come. And that's like, I mean, I think like Advent, um, like encapsulates so much of that, right? right? This like this hopeful, um, kind of waiting anticipation of Christ's birth. And so, for me, um, yeah, just like this beginning of the the year, each year kind of in Advent and the and waiting mm-hmm. um, to celebrate Jesus's birth, it's just so um, like centering. It's such oh. a helpful reminder um, of the story that we're living in and a part of. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, <clears throat> like even back to just kind of the the liturgical calendar stuff, like the we didn't know we needed it, but we like do the tendency in culture, right, to focus so much on, like, the new year and, like, New Year's resolutions yeah. and all of that. Yeah. I find Advent coming just before that um, incredibly helpful and just kind of as we even enter into a new calendar year, being sort of recentered in who Christ is and the reminder um, of that. It's just, yeah. It's just so true. Yeah. So, Kimberly, when we have the kind of desire you're articulating beautifully and, like, the intention to follow through on it, I'm thinking now of young families like yourself who think, oh, Advent, and, you know, we want or Lent or whatever, and we want to do all these wonderful things. And then it just seems like life uh, conspires yeah. against it. So say a hopeful word to all the young parents <laughs> listening to us who have these yeah. beautiful dreams Plans. of Advent. And, We're going to light the candles every yeah. day yeah. at dinner. So the hopeful word is like have lots of grace with yourself. You know, I mean, I think yeah, that's just totally. sort of like generally parenting um, and busyness with young kids. But um, I think it's like, like do your best and you're, and you're going to mess up and you're going to forget to do something and, um, and just be realistic too. I think it's, there's like so yeah. many really fun, exciting ideas and ways that you can participate in Advent mm-hmm. and other liturgical seasons, like with your family and with your children. It's easy for me at least to be like, oh, let's do all 10 of these different ideas. Um, I got like a new book um, this year that I'm super excited about. Um, but with that too, just kind of like, all right, we're going to pick one or two practices from this book. It's Sacred Seasons, by the way, the book, A Family Guide to Century Your Year Around Jesus. Yep. It's um, by Danielle, Hit- Danielle Hitchin. Hitchin. We, yeah. have, we just got the book too. Cool. It's so and good. So, yeah. So Mickey. <laughs> yeah. Don't feel like you have to do all the things. I know. I'm um, with you. I'm with you. It's like picking like one, like one thing. Um, a family in yep. our church teaches a few times a, a year a class for us 
and for our people around like the liturgical year because it is so new for uh, many of our folks. And one of my favorite um, Advent traditions that, that we learned from them that we do is like a prayer chain. And so, you know, the like mm, paper yeah. Christmas chains that people yeah. Yeah, with yeah. With, um, green and red. So doing that, but with purple and then writing right. like prayers on it and each, hmm. you know, each prayer, like mm. connecting those in the chain and praying through those. Um, and that's one that's like pretty doable. Um, yeah. And so I think, yeah, like lots of grace, don't overdo it. Um, and so much of it is like, it's even just like big, but simple things like praying together as a family each day. Right. Right. Um, and just using, I think the season of Advent as a kind of like a restart. No, that's good. That's definitely a good word. <laughs> we, yeah. As a young parent too. Just it is, uh, yeah. Yes. We, maybe with Kimberly's word, we'll title this series. Um, Advent with grace yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, grace for, or grace, I mean, for, grace Advent for Advent or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is like, it is the kind of thing where, I mean, like the last thing that like Jesus wants us to do is just be like down on ourselves and just, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, angsty. And, yeah. Because we yeah. can't do all the things. I mean, I think that's sort of this countercultural piece of the liturgical mm-hmm. calendar of Advent, like in the season of Christmas where there's so many demands and so much like, consumerism and busyness if we mm-hmm. enter into the practice and the discipline of advent then hopefully we're actually like hitting up against that but if we end up just discouraged because we can't do all the things and it's sort of like well we're, we're missing right. it, i think true yeah. true yeah and a, a lifetime formed by yeah. a lifetime of advents too yep. Yep. that that we pray that's sufficient too yeah. awesome so so maybe shifting gears just a little bit and thinking in terms of these spiritual practices mm-hmm. or um the the church calendar as church leaders mm-hmm. right we're put in this position where we're also meant to disciple a group of people that that God has given us to shepherd so i think a lot of folks we've mentioned this before but if they're new to Anglican spirituality or any sort of liturgical expression of the faith, they don't always have a category for observing Advent in particular. So as a church leader, what is some of the, the heavy lifting you have to do during this time in terms of teaching or explaining? So kind of thinking more congregationally now. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I have um, like the gift of being um, part of like a team of clergy at Church of the Cross. And so sort of our, you know, kind of like leadership team is myself, um, Sarah Smith, um, and then Peter Coelho. And so part of it is that like we get to think through and plan this together. Um, And so I think it's even sort of months before Advent, sort of listening um, to the spirit and like, what does the Lord have for us? What does our congregation need like this Advent? Because it looks a little bit different each year. And so um, as we've been doing some of that, like praying and and discussion through it, we're going to really kind of like press in this year and form our people around um, the theme of waiting. And so mm. a part of that is kind of like weaving that through um, a lot of what we're doing as a church. And so certainly that means um, our sermons. So focusing on this theme of waiting um, throughout um, our Sunday sermons and Advent, but then also um, giving opportunities for people to engage in that in other ways. And so um, we'll do, and we do this kind of periodically through the year where we'll offer um, like morning prayer and compline, like at the church, come mm-hmm. worship with us in that way. Yeah. Um, and again, just w- with like plenty of space for silence and waiting um, on the Lord and kind of asking questions um, around that. And then um, yeah. we often will do in Advent and in Lent um, a quiet day. And so we'll do that as well. Um, and again, mm-hmm. just kind of asking people as they're 
praying, as they're engaging with the Lord in that quiet day, um, to kind of focus on this theme of waiting and what does that mean for them individually, as a family, as a part of this church, as a part of kind of the, the larger um, Austin community and as followers of Jesus. So that's sort of like the process that we um, use typically. And then, yeah, this year we'll be really pressing into that theme of waiting. So Pastor Kimberly, here's a yeah. pastoral question. Yeah. And it's just looking for your perspective, not for like some right academic answer. But why do you think waiting is so hard, you know, for us to teach in our culture, to model? Yeah. Like what is the sort of counterintuitive things that you see and hear in people that waiting just seems so counterintuitive? Are you kidding? Yeah. Rush, get it Especially now. right before Christmas too. Yeah. Right. I know, you mean, that's why it feels so like poignant, right? Like, Almost like prophetic, huh? Yeah, that like that's the season that we're entering into and practicing um, as Anglicans as like while the season that sort of like the world around us is engaging in is a season Mm. of like busyness and consumerism and and all of that. Mm. And so I think that, I mean, waiting is so hard. Um, I mean, like sin, right? I mean, the way in which we've been created is this just sort of like we want things right away immediately. I mean, I think if we even like Mm, going back to like, the Garden of Eden, you know, like waiting, yeah. right? Like trusting the Lord and what's what they, what we've been told was hard. And it's just, and especially now, I mean, we have everything available to us, um, like right away, anything we yeah. want or need. You know, it's like, I mean, at one point, I think like when Amazon first started, it was like two-day delivery. Well, now it's like overnight delivery or delivery, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. later that day, just anything yeah. we want, we have access to. And so um, the world in which we're operating, like, he tells us that, like, gives us the message, like, you don't have to wait and get this right away. But that's so mm-hmm. different than the message that the Lord has for us. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, the reality is, is so many of our people who are faithful Christians are still very much formed by um, culture and just that idea yeah. of, like, getting what you want or need right away. When you sit around with your colleagues and, you know, come up with uh, waiting, which is, yeah. you know, be a, a pretty typical thing to do with Advent. Yeah. What is it you're hoping people will experience yeah. as they learn to wait? So we're hoping that they'll experience um, a slowing down mm. and a reminder that um, it feels like a little cliche in a way, but just that kind of like, like the Lord's timing is different than our own, you know, mm. um, the things that we yeah. believe that we need or long for right away. Like, mm-hmm oftentimes we have no idea how the Lord is working kind of behind the scenes, so to speak. Um, Mm -hmm. We also have people in our congregation who are just in really hard seasons of suffering. And so this idea of pressing into the waiting isn't to say like, all right, just suck it up and just keep waiting. Mm -hmm. But it's like a reminder that, that we are waiting together, like for, for things kind of here and now, but also for the kingdom to come. And there's something about, like naming that and engaging and doing that as a community and the reminder that these folks who are especially like in these dark seasons aren't waiting on their own. Like they're waiting um, in this sort of like hopeful anticipation with their pastors and their clergy at the church with other parishioners. Um, And there's something that that feels like significant about that too. Like the reminder that we're not doing all of this like on our own and that we can wait with others and others can also um, bear some of that burden with us. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Have you ever found that it was challenging to practice Advent in sort of like this modern time that we live in as a congregation? You know, 
what yeah. what do you do to address when you know either people don't understand mm-hmm. or um, whatever the reason may be for yeah. just kind of finding it to be challenging to walk through something like Advent together communally? Yeah. How do you work to make this season really meaningful and formative yeah. for your church? So I think part of it is first just kind of like almost naming some of what you said, Mickey, is just kind of that like it can be hard. And this is so new for a right. lot of our people. And some of that even mm-hmm. goes back to the kind of like being realistic, having grace around that you don't have to like as your first year as an Anglican do all of the things. And so mm, yeah. some of it is just beginning to like build some awareness around just very simply what Advent is, what the liturgical calendar is, why we practice um Advent and why we even like choose some of these things like a quiet day, praying the daily office together, um, things like that. And so some of it's just very simple kind of education, but then also like uh, connected to that, it's sort of the like, why, like how do these things form us as followers of Jesus? How do they benefit us like individually as a church, as families, things like that. And I think we have to be like, I think for us as um, clergy pastors, it can be, um, you know, like, you have this hope or this desire for like everybody to do all of the stuff and just be all in on it. So I think we also have to have just some realistic expectations around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's always just really um, beautiful because I think, you know, oftentimes kind of in the seasons or kind of post the, you know, Advent or whatever, or Lent, whatever season, people will have really like specific stories about how um, they like really encountered the Lord in that time in ways mm-hmm. that maybe they hadn't before um in these really yeah just kind of like busier times of life kimberly so i hear you saying that there's something in advent for us and that it takes some intentionality to get to that but that we want to engage that intentionality in grace-filled ways yes absolutely because i think like for us in our context we have so many people who've come sort of from like def- like not from um, liturgical or Anglican, Anglican traditions, a lot of folks who've come from pretty spaces that are pretty kind of legalistic where there's a lot of fundamentalism. Mm, yeah. So we want to be careful with that, right, too, because right. we don't yeah. want this to end up being something where people feel like shame around not, around not doing it just right. Or, or not understanding are, it. or Yeah, or people are just doing it because like they have to, and yeah, they don't fully have an yeah. understanding. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it's just like, like our faith. It's like this lifelong journey, right, engaging um, in these seasons and learning um, sort of what spiritual practices um, like center you the most and allow you um, to just really have a connectedness with the Lord. And so I think, you know, even for folks who've been really engaging in the season of Advent for years, like anything in life, there's kind of like ups and downs and there's certain seasons of Advent where maybe they don't experience quite the same thing or what they were, you know, kind of hoping to, but it's just um, like this discipline of, every year engaging in this season, um, being present to it and what the Lord has for you. And yes, lots of grace. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, close this grace filled conversation with maybe a humorous story that you could tell us Kimberly about an Advent practice that kind of fell apart for your family. Like I think of a two year old trying to light a candle on a table and it falls off and la- lights the cat's tail on fire or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe not that dramatic. I but. mean, stuff like that. We have, we have cats and a dog in our house. So crazy things like that um, <laughs> do happen. No, I mean, so it's, it is like Advent candle related. And this is just like one of those things. So we moved here in November of 2021, right before Advent, you know? And so we, mm-hmm. um, 
kind of like Advent rolls around and we're searching all of our boxes and stuff for just the different, our different kind of Advent decorations and whatnot. And our Advent candles had all completely melted. And so oh, nice. thankfully cat candles are like <laughs> to come by, but we, you know, not thinking had we, um, when we moved, we got a pod and we like thought we were, you know, doing great and like packed everything ahead of time and our candles yeah. sat in, you know, in Phoenix, October. Oh, oh God, yeah. And so all yeah. of our so candles had melted. Um, but oh, no. <laughs> that did not stop us. So <laughs> good, good. Oh, yeah. Gosh. yeah you, so funny. you found your way to a grace filled advent despite the disappointment you didn't judge yourself right (laughs) Right. (laughs) that's great i love that yeah thank you kimberly thanks so much for being with us today of course it's good to be with you guys Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.